Good morning. I believe I will see the goodness of the Lord. Amen. That's a, that's a wonderful uh, phrase from that song. You know, as I look out on the congregation, I see the goodness of the Lord. It is when we, uh, it's when we receive Jesus into our hearts that now Jesus has, has the ability to show himself through one another. Like when I see you, and I see you, and I see you, I see the face of Jesus because the Holy Spirit lives in us. I believe I will see the goodness of the Lord. And the goodness of the Lord is here this morning. He's in, the goodness of the Lord is here uh, in the presence, in our presence, because the Holy Spirit is here with us. And so this morning, I'm excited to open up God's Word because uh, what we're going to look at this morning talks about how the goodness of the Lord was poured out into the hearts of more and more people. That's what the whole passage is about. We will see the goodness of the Lord. Let's go before the Lord in prayer one more time. Father God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you that as we are going to prepare to look at your word, and then we're going to prepare to look at one another. And as we do, I am confident that we will see the goodness of the Lord. God, thank you that we've just had this wonderful time of worship. Thank you that we were able to lift up these songs. Man, it was a beautiful time of praise, and I pray that you are pleased with it. We offer it to you as an act of worship, because God, you are worthy. You are worthy to be praised. And God, we know that your word is true, and as we open it up now, we ask that you would come and be our teacher. I get this vision of how Jesus would gather with all the people on the hillside and he would begin to teach them. And I pray that you would come, that we would see the goodness of the Lord, that Jesus would come and be our, uh, that he would come and be our teacher, that you'd open up our, the, your word to us again, just as you did 2,000 years ago with, in the coming of Jesus. I pray that you would come again and you would open it up to us and that we would see your goodness we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, I have here, this, uh, you may not know what this is because this isn't how I've normally seen them. This is a kaleidoscope. And uh, kaleidoscopes are hard to come by today. You don't, these are like a thing of the past. This is like a virtual reality headset caveman day. Okay, this is... Uh, <laughs> But I remember uh, my grandma had a kaleidoscope. I went looking for a kaleidoscope I, this week. I couldn't find one in any store. And so Kinsey, my daughter, actually made this. And it's kind of cool. Chelsea helped her. It's got a couple panels of mirrors in, in this tube. And then at the end uh, of this, it has all kinds of glitter and little pieces of glass. And uh, you turn it. And uh, as you hold it up to the light, it becomes even more vibrant. And you, and you turn it and you get all kinds of beautiful images. I remember some of these images uh, when I was at my grandma's house. You'd, you'd switch it and, and it would paint this picture. And then, you, and, uh, and then you'd twist it a little bit and the glass would turn and reflect off the mirrors again and you'd get a different design. And each one was new and each one had its own vibrant colors and it was a beautiful thing. So I, I bring up this idea of kaleidoscope, not just to take us down uh, a trip down memory lane, but because I think there is a parallel with what we're going to see in Galatians chapter 2 this morning. 
What we see here in the early church is the things are shifting. Up until this point, God has primarily worked through one people. It was the nation of Israel. God had, uh, had, had said to Abraham, from your descendants, I will bless all nations. And it is through Israel that he gave his law and he gave the prophets to pre uh, predict the coming Messiah. It was a Jewish Messiah who would come and be the, their Savior and their Lord. But now all of a sudden in the early church, something happens that they don't expect. There's a shift. Non-Jewish people, Gentiles, are beginning to accept Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And it's not an easy thing for, the, these, for, for these early believers to get their minds around. It's a radical shift. And, but yet what we see here is in the midst of this change, the kingdom of God is showing its full colors. It's beautiful. It's vibrant. This morning I want to talk about that shift from being a, a mono-ethnic people of God to being a multi-ethnic kingdom of God. And I want to look at it not only from the perspective of the early church, I want to look at it from the perspective of West Covina Christian Church. Because in many ways, and I think we'll see this, there is a parallel uh, between what was happening in the first century and what has happened in our 90-year history. And, uh, and what I want us to recognize is that it is a blessing that there are so many ways that God's, uh, God's glory, his goodness, his vibrant colors are able to be poured out here in our church and in the kingdom of God. So where we are at this morning is Galatians chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 10. So open up your Bibles to Galatians chapter 2, 1 through 10. The words will be on the screen, but I love it when you got the text in front of you on your device or in your Bible, and uh, it'll help you follow along because we're going to try to stick with the text real carefully today. The, the, the title of today's sermon is Led by God to be a Multi-Ethnic Congregation or a Multi-Ethnic Church. And uh, that's what we see happening in Galatia. As, as Shori and Pastor Darren pointed out, what is modern-day Turkey? And that's what we have seen happen in our congregation as well. Galatians 2 verse 1 says, Then after 14 years I went up to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and, meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preach, that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure that I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved in you. As for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had to the circumcised. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. 
James, Cephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All that they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do all along. Paul says here, as he, as he continues the story that Pastor Darren preached on last week, and, and he did a great job uh, for us to understand Paul's conversion as Jesus appeared to him on the Damascus Road. Paul continues the story and he says, Now it's 14 years after I had been to Jerusalem. Uh, as Pastor Darren pointed out in Galatians 1, it says that after Jesus had appeared to uh, Paul on the, on the road to Damascus and he was blinded by the light that he saw in the revelation of Jesus, three years after that point, he went up to Jerusalem to meet with the apostles and, the, and to have them bless him and, and commission his work to preach the gospel and to spread the good news of Jesus. And now, uh, that was three years after his conversion, and now 14 years later, so 17 years in total, uh, Paul goes to Jerusalem again. He's been around the block a time or two. You would think that 17 years after his conversion, 17 years really in the ministry, Paul would have full confidence that, uh, that, what he, that he has, uh, that he knows what he's doing, that his message is true, that he's got it all down. And yet it says that doubt has creeped into his mind. Verse 2, I wanted to be sure that I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. 17 years, and he begins to wonder, am I on the right track? I added it up. I've been in the ministry now for 18 years, full-time pastoral work. Sometimes you'd think after 18 years I'd have something figured out. But some of these days I'm like, I still have no idea what I'm doing. And I make mistakes and I, and I need to ask the Lord for forgiveness. And sometimes I wonder, am I on the right track? Especially when I take criticism. When someone set, comes and has criticism, even if it's good and constructive criticism, it makes me wonder, am I headed in the right direction? Well, Paul's taking criticism here. It's the Judaizers uh, who have come into the churches in Galatia and said, you know that guy Paul that first led you to the faith? He doesn't have it all together. Sure, he preached to you a gospel of grace, and you were saved by grace, but now that you're saved, you got to do the Old Testament laws. you got to make sure you keep the ceremonial practices of Judaism. First, you're a Christian, but now they say, if you're a Christian, you, ought to, you also have to be Jewish. And Paul hears that criticism, and he wonders, am I right? Am I on the right track? Do they need to obey the Old Testament laws? The Judaizers said, no. Even the men, you got to be circumcised. All of you got to keep the Sabbath. No more hot dogs at your church picnic. You, you got to eat kosher. Obey the Old Testament dietary uh, laws. And Paul wants to go up to Jerusalem, and he gives them what he's been presenting, the gospel of grace, to men that he, that he has the utmost respect for. In fact, three times he says about the apostles that they are esteemed. In verse 2, he says they are esteemed as leaders. In verse 6, he says, I held them in high esteem. In verse 9, he says, they are esteemed as pillars. He has so much respect for them. He says, whatever they say, 
That's what goes. That's gospel truth, quite literally. Whatever they say is what it is. And what do the apostles say to Paul after he presents them with their message? He basically says, you got it. You nailed it. What you have said about the gospel, what you have been proclaiming all these uh, years, that's what it is. It's the gospel truth. And, uh, and it's the same not only for the Jewish believers, but it's the same for the Gentile believers as well. Titus, who was a Gentile, ended up kind of being a test case. Remember, Paul took with him both uh, Barnabas, who was a Jew, and Titus, who was a Gentile. In verse 3 it says, Yet not even Titus, who is with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. And they, and they accepted him as uh, fully in the kingdom of God, even though he was not circumcised. Now, enough of the talk of circumcision, <laughs> because I know it's not the most pleasant topic. Uh, but it's important, because what we have here is at the heart of who we are as believers. What is, at the, what is being presented here is the truth that we live by grace. You see, I think we can still fall into the same trap as the Judaizers were trying to get the, the Galatian believers to fall into the trap of. Now that we are Christians, we got to work hard at it. We got to dig our heels in. We got to please God by doing this, that, and the other. And we, uh, form our, and we form our lives around works of the law, so to speak. We might not even recognize it, but we think somehow that our standing before God depends on our ability to get our lives together. Now, this, the gospel of grace says, no, it doesn't. You're saved by grace, and then every day after that, you live by grace. So when you lay your head down on the pillow at night, you rest in the grace of God. You ask God to forgive your sins, and you realize that he loves you no matter what. That's the grace of God. When you wake up in the morning, your, your mind begins to daydream about all that God could do in you and through you uh, that day. And you begin to daydream about what would it look like if I really walked with Jesus today and your feet hit the floor in the morning. You say a prayer, God, may you give me strength today because you realize you can't do it on your own. That is why we need the grace of God. You see, the grace isn't just the first step of salvation. It's the whole staircase. As we make our way to heaven, every step along the way is grace. When my son Dawson was uh, first uh, born, when he was still a little baby, uh, uh, I wanted to get some exercise, and so he was probably like 20 pounds at the time, and I got one of those front harnesses where you strap the baby in and he can look around and wave his hands and his legs. And, uh, and I decided I was going to climb this big step uh, flight of stairs uh, near where we lived. We still lived over towards the beach. And, uh, there, and in Manhattan Beach, there's this tall hill of, it's a sand dune. And uh, man, you run up that sand dune and the loose sand and 
you feel it in the backside. I mean, it's a good workout. Well, I, I didn't feel like I could run up the, uh, the sand dune with Dawson, uh, but I could run up the stairs that was right parallel to the sand dune. And, uh, and I started up, and it felt good. I was getting my exercise, but it wasn't uh, But a, a little ways up. I thought, oh, man, this is harder when you got a 20-pound baby strapped to your chest. Now, wouldn't it have been ridiculous if I told Dawson, hey, buddy, you climb the rest of the way on your own. I know you can't walk yet, and I know you can't even crawl, but you make it up to the top on your own. The Christian life is just as ridiculous if we think that somehow we're going to make it to the top on our own. In fact, when we grow in our faith, it actually means that we become not less dependent on grace, we become more dependent upon grace. To grow in our faith means that we walk in greater dependence upon God. We rely upon Him. We, 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 our, our prayer life uh, grows because we recognize that we need more and more in, of God in our lives. Amen? That's what it means to grow in our faith. Grace isn't just the first step. It's the whole staircase. And so every day as we, as we go to sleep and as we wake up and as we walk throughout the day, we ask that God would strengthen us and give us help because we know that we can't do it on our own. That's the message that Paul was giving to the first century believers, and that's the message that he gave to the apostles that said, you're right on. That's what the Christian life is all about. But the Galatian Christians were having that freedom uh, question that it was, it was in jeopardy. Verse 4 says that this matter arose, the reason that Paul went to Jerusalem to meet with the apostles, because some false teachers had infiltrated their ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. In other words, if they gave up grace, they were going to become slaves again. They were going to lose their freedom. You know, that lost freedom came to mind when I saw a report this past week that the CDC, the Center of Disease Control, put out. It was a, it was a staggering report that caught the attention of all the major newspapers. In fact, this is the New York Times. Teen girls report record levels of sadness, CDC finds. And in the report, it goes on to, to report that a 57% of teenage girls talk about a persistent feelings of sadness and depression and anxiety. It's an alarming number, 57%, almost three in five. Now, what is even more alarming is that the same study was done just 10 years ago, and the number was 36%. Now, 36% sounds high, but the fact that it's almost doubled in uh, just 10 years causes us to scratch our heads and say, what's going on? Well, the first thing that we say as Christians is, man, that's, that's tragic. It is a, a response of compassion. But the second thing I would want to know is, does God's word have anything to say to teen girls that are struggling in this way? Well, one of the things that the report points out is that uh, there are a couple corollaries that they see to this number spiking. One is that the, girl, the teen girls who identify as LGBTQ have higher levels 
of sadness and depression and anxiety. You see, when, they, when these, these girls are entering into womanhood, which comes with its own struggles, when there are greater questions around sexuality and gender, it leads to even more anxiety and, and, uh, and stress. And the second corollary that the report gave was the rise in social media. Because think about it, even 10 years ago, most uh, teens did not have access or were not on social media the way they are today. And just the pressures that come from that have caused uh, uh, these emotions to rise. Now, when I hear a report like that, it helps, it helps us to understand that the gospel of grace is desperately needed today. Because it is the gospel of grace that helps teen uh, girls understand who they are. They have an identity that God has created them. God has created all of us, male and female, in his image. And it gives us, uh, it helps us to know who we are. The gospel of grace gives us uh, belonging, that we belong to the family of God, that we are not in this alone. It gives us purpose that we are created for God's glory and God has a plan and purpose for our lives. You see, as we continue to move away from the gospel of grace, which is what we see happening all the time, all of it has consequences. We lose the freedom that, this, that Galatians 2 is talking about. But when we ground ourselves in God, in our relationship with Him, in the truth of God's Word, then it opens up our hearts to experience all of the love that God has for us. And so we must continue to to rely on grace so that we don't fall into these kind of traps. It's not just for teen girls, it's for all of us. Because all of us uh, struggle at times with depression and sadness and anxiety. But God's word says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And sometimes we struggle with joy and hope and to, and to find hope in the future. But God's word says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And we struggle with our relationships to love and to forgive, to be kind and to be, uh, and to be patient. But God's word says, my grace is sufficient. And so we ground ourselves every day in the gospel of grace. We remind us that God is here for us, that, he's, that he loves us, that he has a plan for our lives. And that's good news. Paul is relieved that he, to know that the message he is preaching jived with what the rest of the apostles said. In fact, in verse 7, it says the apostles uh, said they, they entrusted him with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. And we've been entrusted with the gospel as well. We've been entrusted with God's grace. That word entrust is kind of like an investment term. If you've got some, uh, some extra money, you might entrust that money to an, an, an investment firm, to a broker, to invest it on your behalf. And your expectation is that that money is going to increase if you got a good broker. If over, if over the long haul it goes down in value, he stinks at his job. You need to find a new person. And we understand the, that the uh, markets go up and down, but over the long haul, we expect it to increase. And you and I have been entrusted with something so much more valuable than some extra money. You and I have been entrusted with the, 
gospel of grace. And it ought to grow in our lives. Now, life has its ups and downs, just like the money markets do. But over the long course of, uh, over the full course of our life, we understand that, our, that what has been entrusted to us is recession-proof. Why? Because it's grounded in the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. So here are my application questions for you this morning. First of all, are we being good stewards of the treasure that God has given us? In other words, is the grace of God growing in us? Are we trusting in the Lord more and more every day, or are we trying to rely on ourselves more? Is the grace of God growing in us, and is it growing through us? Are we spreading the good news of the gospel to others? If we are entrusted with the gospel of grace, it ought to grow. We ought to be good stewards. We ought to trust in the Lord more and more, and we ought to spread that grace to others. Now, the gospel of of grace was spreading among the Gentiles. It was spreading among the Gentiles so much so that Paul needed to make sure, hey, I've got the right message here. It's a massive shift for the church. And the kingdom of, uh, the kingdom of God was now a multi-ethnic work, uh, um, not just among the Jewish people, but among the Gentiles as well. Now, when I read that, I couldn't help but think there's a parallel for West Covina Christian Church. Because when West Covina Christian Church was first founded— And we will be 90 years old this uh, summer. Did you know that? Uh, The first Sunday that our church met was June 4th, 1933. And uh, I looked on the calendar. June 4th is a Sunday this year. We ought to have a birthday cake. And uh, we will be 90 years old. On that first Sunday, I think I have a picture. Were we able to scan this, uh, Andrew? That's, That's the first Sunday this church ever met together. Now, in our record books, it says it was 14 adults and 19 children. But when I look at that picture, there's more than 14 adults there. I think they had guests for the the first Sunday. But the first church, uh, when our church first started, we consisted of 14 adults and 19 children. And uh, we met in the living room. In fact, we met in people's homes for the first 21 years of our existence. And then in 1954, uh, our church bought its first property in Monrovia, its first uh, church building. And and the church met in the church in Monrovia until 1967 when uh, when we went to the church in Baldwin Park. How many of you, just out of curiosity, went to the church when it was in Baldwin Park? All right. Beautiful. And, the, and so the church was there in Baldwin Park, known then as the uh, San Gabriel Valley Japanese Christian Church. Am I right? I think I got that right. And uh, when the first church first started, it was known as the Baldwin Park Holiness Church. And when they moved uh, uh, to, to, uh, to Monrovia, I think that's when they changed their name to the San Gabriel Valley Japanese Christian Church. And then in the year 2000, one of the leaders of the church, actually, uh, it was, um, Julie, was it your, was it your uh, father who, yeah, it, it was Julie's dad who first found out that the property was for sale here. 
And the leadership of the church came over and looked at it and said, we think, think God wants us to move our church here. And um, so they put in a bid. It was owned by a Baptist church. In fact, Inez Harris-Chuck is uh, the lone remaining member from the Baptist church. And, uh, and uh, they put in a bid. But we were not the highest bid. I say we. I wasn't here, but I'm a part of the church now. We're, we're all grafted in, right? Uh, we're all a part of this church now. So, so we put in a bid, and we were not the highest bid. The highest bid was Calvary Chapel, who is now meets in Diamond Bar. Raul Reese is, was the pastor. And uh, they were the highest bid, but they said if we purchase the property, the Spanish church that meets over in the upstairs of what we call our education building, which is now our education center, they had a Spanish congregation there, they said the Spanish church can't say, stay. And we said the Spanish church can say, stay, so they sold it to us instead. And uh, that was the deciding factor. Now the leadership of the church felt so strongly that this was of the Lord, that he had opened up the doors for us to be able to move into this property. They felt a conviction that God wanted us to reach our community. And so again, they changed the name from San Gabriel Valley uh, Japanese Christian Church, which had a primary focus on reaching Japanese, to West Covina Christian Church, which to me, when I first heard the name, I thought, that's the most generic name I've ever heard. <laughs> West Covina Christian Church. But you know what? It actually has tremendous significance to it. Because what it is saying is, all are welcome here. We're, we're a Christian church for West Covina and anyone else that wants to come and be a part of a family of God. The vision statement is, and we still have this, this is our vision statement, opening our doors wide so that many may enter through the narrow gate. The narrow gate is life in Jesus. And we open our doors wide. You see, I, I, I share that story because it's something that we should rejoice in. The early church had a, had, a, um, had a shift in it in which it caused everything to move around. And they saw the kingdom of God with more vibrant colors as it moved from being a mono-ethnic religion with just the Jewish people to welcoming in the Gentiles. And we, as a, in a similar way, have had a similar shift where we couldn't be a more diverse church today if we tried. Uh, and I'm not saying that churches that are just one ethnicity, there's nothing wrong with that. All I'm saying is it's a blessing. We see things with greater vibrancy than we were if everyone around us was just like us. It, uh, it is a blessing. In fact, I think there are at least four benefits that we have for being a multi-ethnic congregation. One is... It's a foretaste of heaven. When John got a vision of heaven, he said that there were people gathered around the throne worshiping God from every language and tribe and nation. And every Sunday when we gather together, it's a foretaste of heaven. Oh, I just realized I'm going long here. Sorry. Uh, but th this is good stuff, right? Somebody tell me to keep going. Uh, I'm almost done here. Uh, 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 one is that it is a foretaste of heaven. Number two is that, deeper, that different experiences lead to deeper faith. You know, so many churches are about, uh, have people that are all about two inches deep. That's because they've never experienced anything outside of what they've grown up with. Uh, and 
And when we gather together in our, as a church and in our life groups and we share stories, we know uh, we're, we're challenged to see what we're seeing on the news differently because we're talking to people that have experienced things differently than we have. And our faith grows deeper because we have greater compassion, we have greater love. Uh, deeper, uh, different experiences lead to deeper faith. The third thing is variety is the spice of life. Uh, it's just more interesting. Our, our uh, lunches after church are better. It's different food. You got uh, deeper conversations. It's better. It's more enjoyable. It creates energy in life because we gather together and we uh, feed off of one another. We come from different backgrounds. Variety is the spice of life. And then the fourth one is, how did I word the fourth one? You learn to love across boundaries. And man, do we not need that in our world today? In which if you don't agree with me, uh, you don't, uh, I want nothing to do with you. If, uh, if, if, if we don't see things eye to eye, I don't like you. We live in a cancel culture. And as a, Christ, and as a church, we can learn to love across boundaries with people that are different than us. And that's a beautiful thing. In fact, we'll shine like stars in our world when we, uh, when we show each other the love of Jesus in this way. Now, when Paul had met with the apostles, it says that the apostles offered to him the right hand of fellowship. You know what the right hand of fellowship is? It's, a, it's symbolic that we're in this together, that we belong that there is friendship, that there's cooperation. So this morning, I want us just to take a minute, and uh, just symbolically, I want us to go around and shake someone's hand and let people know that, uh, that we offer each other the right hand fellowship. So let's stand up just for a moment and shake someone's hand and let them know that uh, you are happy that you're with us this morning. of God. Yeah, we love one another. So, see you. Good to see you. Others <laughs> hands. Good morning. Hey. We're reminded that we are the family of God. I come back to that opening song that I believe we will see the goodness of God. You know, when you extend a hand of fellowship, the right hand of fellowship, you're seeing the goodness of God. Because we see the goodness of God in the faces of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And those brothers and sisters don't have to have a face that looks exactly like ours. In fact, it's more beautiful if they don't. It's more beautiful when we come together and we are the multi-ethnic church, the multi-ethnic family of God. Thank you, God, that you love us so much. Thank you that we have a story, that you have worked in significant ways. God, I thank you for those leaders that gathered a small group of people together in a living room some almost 90 years ago. And they started a, a work of, of yours that continues to this day. 
God, I thank you for leaders in our church who sensed your call to take a step of faith and to purchase this property. God, I thank you that we are in this community and that we are here to share the gospel of grace, the the love of God to others. And God, I thank you for each person here this morning that that has shaken someone's hand and told them that you belong here. God, we need to know that we belong because this is a difficult, scary world. And, and, uh, and we know that on our own, we're in deep trouble. But we live by the grace of God and we rely on you. And your grace is oftentimes poured out in one another, in our brothers and sisters. And so God, as we sing this, uh, this last song, again, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come and meet with us and, and, and fill us with your love. Remind us that it is good that we are here, that you have brought us here, that you have led us to be a multi-ethnic church. And there are many, many benefits and blessings to that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.